you say goodbye, and, and I say salutations, listeners. Baller Magulus. No, 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 no. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men and a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Culp here. Action Jackson. We are the only podcast that reviews movies and delivers to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. We're most certainly not the only podcast that does that. But if we were... We're the only ones that I listen to that does that. That's a fact. That's true. It's the only ones that you should be listening to, listener. Also a fact. In fact, if I find out that you've been listening to another podcast that tries to do this, I'll be uh, I'll be unaware. He'll be cross. Okay, so, hypothetically, if we were the only podcast that did this, or even if we weren't, we would like to target movies that are not total blockbuster smashes, right? Yeah. We would like to look for movies that are not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy even if you wanted to. I'll quite, buy that for a dollar. Quite middling. Instead, we would aim for movies that are right in that sweet spot in the middle. Mmm, mm, that's, a, that's mm. a sweet spot. Mm, mm. That's nice. Yeah, those movies that maybe you've heard of, you haven't seen, maybe you saw a long time ago, and you're thinking, was that movie as good as I remember it? Probably not. You probably might, not. You might have remembered seeing the poster somewhere. Yeah. But uh, that's probably it. In yeah. the cinema, mm-hmm. which was a place where people viewed the talkies. The, the moving pictures. The yes. moving pictures. Yeah. We review these middling movies, and we deliver to you whether or not you need to track them down and see them today, or maybe even yesterday. Ooh, Ooh. yesterday would be good. That is a, that'd be a very good one. Because, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, that's when your trouble seems so far away, am I right? I, I would agree with that. On an unrelated note, what did we review today? Uh, it wasn't tomorrow. No. It was yesterday. Oh, the mm. day before the day after tomorrow. Yes. Oh, yes. The day before... Tomorrow. But not the day after No, the day before the day before tomorrow. Yester morning. Yes. Okay. Uh, Not yesteryear. No, well, yester week? Possibly. We need to start bringing back yester as just like a generic term for like in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday. Yester minute. Yesterday. Good movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this movie. Let's let's get on it. Yesterday, 2019 film. Uh, Cherries. Cherry here. Yeah, I, uh, I was definitely quite... In the theater at the time, but did not catch this movie. Yeah, I have seen it one time, and it was about a year ago, maybe? Two years ago? I remembered sort of the broad strokes, but I had forgotten a lot of the minutia, so it was fairly fresh to me. Uh, 2019 movie, rated PG-13. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no notes on that. An hour and 56 minutes. You know, honestly, I don't feel like it was a two-hour movie. I agree. I felt like it ran along at a nice pace. It didn't run too fast. It didn't take its time unnecessarily. I feel like it lingered where it needed to linger, and it sped where it needed to speed. I felt like it was a very enjoyable two hours, but I I, I felt like it was shorter. Yeah, I would say maybe like it felt maybe like 15, 20 minutes shorter than that. Yeah. Uh, for me, it it felt quite average in in like just regards to like the time. Like again, like it, it didn't feel like it. It is longer than movies of this genre tend to be. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, what felt... genre are you talking about, Mark? Well, I'm talking about the comedy romance. Okay, <laughs> have you heard of this comedy romance? I have. I, I was like, okay. we're all looking at you, Mark. Have you heard of this? I have heard of this comedy romance. It's pretty good. Is this is this a rom-com? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, also, IMDb might call it a fantasy and perhaps music, which we've talked about, is not the same as music call. Correct. No. Correct. Um, and also, what did we do where, like, music was, like, sort of an integral part, but it wasn't, like, we didn't call it a music movie. Like, we didn't feel like that was appropriate. I can't remember what it was, but... This, I would say, is definitely, like, music is an appropriate genre. 
like Mark said, not a musical. Yeah. And fantasy, very appropriate in the sense that like, like we're not talking dragons and gnomes. We're talking about like although that would be badass. That would I I would watch that movie. Yeah. I have watched that movie. I've had I've watched many of that movie. Um, Careful with spoilers though. But it is fantasy in the sense that something fantastical happens. Yeah. There is a sort of like a generalized suspension of belief mm-hmm. that would not be incumbent upon you, the viewer, if it were a standard film. I liked that. And again, we're, we're going to tease this apart, but I liked that they embraced that element and they didn't go back on it. Like they just jumped both feet. And if you're there, you're there. I don't know. I'll, I'll talk more about why I have that opinion, but... Yeah, I have thoughts, but they lie deep in territory. Yeah. Is there anything we're missing? So you guys, you guys said rom-com. I could be convinced of rom-com. I think this deviates slightly from some of the standard rom-com tropes. Rom-coms tend to be very lighthearted, and even though this movie has, like, the comedy tag, it's a little heavier, and I would say, like, maybe darker and... I don't want to say bleak, but it, it, it's it's more emotional, I would say, than most rom-coms, which tend to be very light, very fluffy, and things that you can sort of, like, just sort of leave on in the background. I don't know if this is the kind of movie that you could just sort of, like, leave on in the background, but it is enjoyable, and there are elements of comedy and romance that do sort of blend together in a rom-com-type soup, you know? Like, put some comedy in there, put some romance, some rutabaga, you know, mm. a couple carrots, and... Mm-hmm. Maybe it turns into rom-com. Yeah, maybe. I So for me, and I know we, we've talked about rom-coms in the past and you know our individual definitions thereof, I feel like a good rom-com is one where the chemistry between the two leads like is the meat and potatoes of the movie. And for this particular movie, that it was that for me. Like I found their relationship to be the most intriguing thing. And when it goes up and down that we'll talk about, I was, I was uncomfortable. I was excited. I was, you know, that's what carried the emotion for me. One thing I would say, like sort of in argument against the idea of rom-com, again, I still be convinced that rom-com is, is an appropriate tag, but I feel like another sort of hallmark of rom-com is, like Mark said, the the relationship is sort of the central thing carrying you through. And the only thing to kind of focus on I feel like this movie, the fantasy aspect that we haven't really explored a great deal due to spoiler issues, I feel like that is kind of central. And the the romance and the comedy sort of take a back seat to it, which I think is why it doesn't immediately strike me as a rom-com. See, I would push back against that and just say that, to Mark's point, I think that the relationship between the two characters is the driving force behind the movie, and the fantasy element is what drives the classic wedge between the two characters. Because in every rom-com, you have a reason why the two can't be together until the end of the movie. So I would say that in this instance, the fantasy element is the wedge. See, okay, I have a pushback against that, but I need spoilers. Fair. So remind me, and we'll circle back to it. All right, all right. And I'm probably going to forget, and then the listeners are going to like 30 minutes on be like what the fuck was he talking about and i'm going to be sitting here quietly laughing to myself about a thought that i had that until you take a shower and it comes over was fleeting um okay what do we have as the description for this movie what should we call this guy the guy that reads our movie descriptions Mm, you can call me whatever you want baby (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah a struggling musician realizes he's the only person on earth who can remember the beatles after waking up in an alternate reality where they never existed that was for you baby barry description yeah his name is barry description Mm. barry dis (laughs) or maybe reed 
Could read be. is a name. Yeah. Read description. Read Simon. Description. Read Rem- Diamond. Hmm. Diamond Reed. Lucy. Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, Lucy what? in the Sky with. What are we doing? Diamonds. Diamonds. Uh, okay, who do we have in this movie? So our star of the film, our protagonist, main character is... Our, our protagonist. Yes, our protagonist is Himesh Patel. You may recognize him. He was in Black Mirror. He uh, plays Mahir in Tenet. Yeah, and kind of a big deal. The movie Don't Look Up, he played Philip back in 21. That was kind of a blockbuster and he was also a minor character in the show avenue five but let's just say himesh patel he's indian russell brand yes he's indian russell brand he's okay. handsome he's charming he's kind of swanky and like a not a i don't say grungy but like in a i'm english and i don't care too much about how i look but somehow it all just sort of works and i'm like really handsome he's that guy yeah he's he's the kind of guy that if he were to just stand there and let clothes fall on him, it would still end up looking pretty good. He looks like if he didn't shower, he would not smell like B.O. like the rest of us. He would smell like leather, maybe. Yeah. Right? right? Or right. like sandalwood. Gotta you know? have a healthy musk, but a pleasing musk. Yeah, a nice, like, a nice musk. In the same way that, again, Russell Brand looks like he would he would sort of Im- imbue that. I don't know. Russell Brand looks like he would smell like wet garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... But, like, it's that, like, sweet kind of wet garbage, right? Yeah. From, like, a distance, you're kind of like, oh, what's that? And you're like, oh, oh, my God. <laughs> it's that it's that sweet smell of decay. Right, right. So what I'm taking from this is you guys are quite thirsty for this gentleman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, just run down the list. Basically anything yeah. anything we've discussed. Yeah. I, I jump in that. It's fine. It's uh, fine. Who else we got? We have, so I don't know who this person is, okay? Like, legally, I don't know who this person is. But... Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, we have, I was going to say Walmart Sasha Gray, but I think Sasha Gray is maybe the Walmart Sasha Gray. So Sasha Gray is the Walmart Lily James. Yes, yes. Uh, You would probably recognize her from Cinderella as Mm. Cinderella. See, she was in Mamma Mia. Was that like a minor character? Ooh, yeah, it was like Cinderella. A side, she was side like role. yeah, supporting yeah. actress. It was a supporting role in, yeah. in, the, in the movie Cinderella. Right, right. As as the Cinderella, as the Cinderella. I would like to reiterate that I do not know who Sasha Gray is. Mm. And also, if you're listening to this and you don't know who Sasha Gray is, do not Google it on a work computer or in public. <laughs> oh, God. Full disclosure, I'm letting you know I'm off the hook. I cannot be held legally responsible. But you might also consider looking it up later in your private time. So one of one of my favorite recent underrated, in my opinion, films is... Is it a Sasha Gray film? It's not. Uh, Don't even bother me with this. It is The Dig, and that one has Voldemort himself as the main character. Ray Fiennes plays Basil Brown, and Lily James plays Peggy Piggott. She was phenomenal in that film. But that one kind of flew under the radar for most people. Most people I talked to haven't seen it. Isn't that Lily James Potter? Lily James Potter is the mother of Harry Potter in the franchise, yes. Right. And Lily James played with Voldemort in that movie. Is it Lily James or is it Lily and James? I think it's Lily and James Potter. It doesn't matter. 
Anyway. Nobody's heard of Harry Potter. No. Um, I've never heard of Harry that's Potter. That's a deep cut. Moving on down the list, who, who else do we have, Mark? Let's see here. Probably recognize his face. I don't know if you'd recognize his name, but Joel Fry. He plays Rocky in this. I know Joel Fry best from his work in Game of Thrones, where he played a character. <clears throat> That is the television program with the people with the faces that the many get, faces and they carry the swords. The many faces. See, I know him from the gayest pirate drama ever written, which was "Our Flag Means Death." Oh, which is phenomenal. I'm not familiar with that particular I, gay pirate movie. I would definitely recommend it. Gay pirate shows there. It oh, is a TV I'm show. Sorry. I'm it sorry. is wonderful. He plays Frenchie. Would you say it is fabulous? It is fabulous. Wonderful. He was also in 10,000 BC, Cruella. Who does he play in these? In 10,000 BC, he's Lukibu. Yeah. In Cruella, he is Jasper, uh, one of the stumbling henchmen of Miss DeVille herself. I hope to be a stumbling henchman one day. Uh, it would be great. What I aspire to. My last mention for him is The Haunting of Queen Mary, um, which it, he plays Patrick Calder. Is that the guy named Patrick? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just just making sure. We've also got this little, like, ginger fella who was running around this film. Also in Game of Thrones. Also in Game of... I think that's where he's best known from, yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. You might not know his name. His name is Ed Sheeran, but... Um, you probably recognize his face. Yeah, from Game of Thrones. Yeah. He was that guy in the woods, soldier. Yeah. That's all he's been in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. That's a big break, really. Kind of looks like a... Like a French fry with like a little bit of ketchup on top. Yeah, mm, spicy. I'm being very offensive to gingers right now. That's but, fine. I don't. But it's it, they 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 don't mind. Ed, we know you're listening. We we do appreciate you. All jokes aside. I mean, I appreciate him with and without the jokes. Yeah, fair. So I'm fair. a bigger fan. Fair, just right, right. By by definition, it's math. Yeah. No, he played himself in this, and I mean, there were other celebrities who played themselves in this as well, but. His character was like an actual character that like pushed the narrative along. So it's not a cameo, even though I guess by definition it is. Is is yeah? It's kind of akin to like Michael Sarah in like this is the end where he's not playing himself. He's playing well. Michael Sarah is kind of a caricature of himself. He was like a way over the top and you know doing shit that he wouldn't normally do in real life, except maybe cocaine. I don't know. I don't know his life. But Ed Sheeran in the same way, like he kind of plays himself, but he's got such a big role that at some point you know. He has to kind of deviate from, you know, the way he would normally be. So he is actually, he's a remarkably big character in this movie. And last but not least, deserving the honorable mention, Kate McKinnon. You know her, you probably love her, and if you don't, we should have a conversation. She was in Ghostbusters, Bombshell, Saturday Night Live, the Barbie movie, League of Super Pets, Joe versus Carol, The Magic School Bus Rides Again. She played freaking Mrs. Frizzle. Like, Kate McKinnon is a superstar. Yeah, I so. would I would argue she's probably like the biggest name in this movie, even though she's not like the main character. Yeah, you definitely know her from SNL and then Ghostbusters, she's the nerdy one who makes everything. The uh the lady Igor? Egon. Egon? Egon. Yeah. Just cut all that out. Just cut all this out. Okay, so one other thing to mention about this movie is it's directed by Danny Boyle. So Danny Boyle is, like, one of the greatest directors of all time. British director, directed one of my favorite movies of all time, 28 Days Later, which is easily Phenomenal. and no doubt the greatest zombie film of all time. And if you don't agree with me, I'll fight you. Slumdog Millionaire, he directed that. Danny Boyle just slays. Directed Train Spotting, you name it. Okay, are we Lurden? I believe so. Are we ready for Rex? Yeah. 
I'll, I'll kick us off. I definitely recommend this. This was a good time. I would riggedy riggedy wreck this to basically anybody that has eyeballs and ears. Yep. Yeah, I would recommend it. The only person I would not recommend this to is that really shitty class of people who are like, meh, I don't like the Beatles. Fuck you. Honestly, if you hate Fuck the Beatles, you. I'm probably not friends with you anyway, so... Uh... Like, they can be not your favorite band, but, like, to say you don't like them... To me is like saying like I don't like the movie Titanic. The movie Titanic's a fucking masterpiece. Like y- saying you don't like the movie Titanic is just to say just to be I, contrary. Yeah, I want to be different. I want to be contrarian. Like here's my thing: to say that you don't like the Beatles, okay, that's fine. But to say that you don't like the Beatles' music, what that really means is that your parents didn't love you. Yeah, like. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to say something potentially controversial because I feel like I'm in a safe place. Nope. I don't like Bob Dylan. Whoa. Not that safe. You're not in a safe place. That's yeah, not Who that thought safe. you told you you were in a safe place? Ah. We were talking this in my head. <laughs> now here's the deal. I love Bob Dylan's music. I just don't like his voice. Nobody likes Bob Dylan's voice. That's the point. Yeah. The best Bob Dylan songs are covers. Everybody knows this. Exactly. So, to say that you don't like... But you like, said you don't like Bob Dylan. Yeah. That's not a, the same as saying, like, well, okay. as a person. his train wreck of a voice is bad. Everybody knows I that. I don't like Bob Dylan's voice. But you cannot argue that Bob Dylan is one of the most prolific songwriters in history. But also good, not just prolific. Right. <laughs> Come you gather can. around Jackson and like my voice. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thank you. Come on, all you in the basement, sitting there, boys, and listen to me. Just, just for that, I'll give I'm you a sing, choice. <laughs> I'm gonna sing Bob Dylan at the next karaoke night. Oh no! Yeah, just like get a real nasty cold. Oh yeah, you know, just oh yeah, just deep throat that mic. Smoke like twenty cigarettes and 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 that's really it. That's it. That's that's that's, that's, blob, it. that's Blob that's Bob Dylan. <laughs> uh, so. I definitely recommend. Uh, you, uh, you, we have Rex around. Rex, Rex oh, yeah. around. Rex around. Um, Rex around. Rex around. I Rex around. Does that mean we're ready to? Bah, 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 bah. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, those blamps mean spoiler we... lawyers. Spoiler lawyers. Spoil all lawyers. Lawyers are pretty spoiled. I don't think. I, I don't think That's we need I to heard. help I, out. I heard spoil all lawyers. Uh, we're in spoilers. If you don't want to know anything more about this movie, shut it off. Turn off the podcast and then turn it right back on. Yeah. Uh, after you finish the movie. Actually, yes. how about this? Leave the podcast on so we get the full listen. Turn the volume down so that you can't hear it, but then you can come back to it and yep. re-download it and listen again and again. Because we get what like it's like 30, 10, 30 bucks. Thirty bucks per download. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really, if you think about the podcast, we get 30 bucks. If you listen to it, it could be 100 I don't know. Honestly, if they don't do that, there's no way I'm going to get a second yacht. So, yeah, good good on you, Mark. Yes, that's what you should do, listener. Yeah, I need my third pickup truck, man. Yahtzee. Okay. I love how I went with yacht, and he went with pickup truck. <laughs> and I went with a board game. And <laughs> it really, like... Am I it, sensing a hierarchy it, here? It should clue you in as to the shares that <laughs> we true. all have. That's true. That, I think we just, like, externalized the meme that, from, like, we're the Millers. Where, like, it ends with, like, you guys are getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> you asshole, you're getting 50 grand for this? You were only giving me 20. Oh, 20? I'm only getting five. You guys, you are, guys getting are getting paid? paid? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um... 
Okay, so it's, how does this movie start? So honestly, it starts with Himesh Patel's character, Jack Malik, just singing on the boardwalk. He's busking in the street. And then it quickly cuts to him playing the same song in a pub. And all of his friends are there to support him. But both of his friends. Yep. All both of them. All both of <laughs> all them of both and of them. Uh, another person that was there. Yep. Yep. So I think the first, I think, few scenes are really just kind of like establishing that he fancies himself a musician. He's He's got like a, a full-time job or he's got like a... He's got a part-time job. Yeah. How he's supporting himself. But, you know, he moonlights as a musician. He wants to make it, basically, as a musician. He wants to be famous. He wants people to acknowledge his talent. And like Mark said, the first couple scenes are just making it painfully evident that that's never going to happen. Nobody's interested in his stuff. And he's sort of getting like, you know, he's very dejected. He's a starving artist with less than zero spotlight. Yeah. But he's not even like a bad musician. He's no. just He's just not catching anybody's ear. Remarkably average. Yep. Yeah. Remarkably unremarkable. Yes. Yeah. So following the setup scenes, what happens? To... We, we meet his manager through, I don't know if it was through those scenes specifically, but his manager, his friend, his roadie, his biggest and only fan. Best friend who is also a girl, but not a girlfriend. Nope. Yeah. That was made painfully clear. Yep, yep. She's driving him home from a gig, and, you know, he's, like, thinking to himself, you know, this is going to be the last one. You know, he's done after this. Because you know, he was all jazzed about it. He was at a festival. Yeah, she managed to land him a gig at, like... Latitude! A serious music festival, and he plays to a completely empty tent. It's a got, couple like, of children, four kids some in it. old people, and his friends. So his manager, slash best friend, slash roadie, slash... Slash Slash is played by Lily James, and she's just smoking hot the whole time with these kind of like heavily uh, eyeliner, dark, smoky eyes that, you know, just scream, hey, Jack, I'm super into you. And then he just is completely tone deaf to it. And she's got the curly haphazard fringe bangs and, you know, very girl next door. Yes. She's very clearly the only person in his life who is encouraging him to pursue this music career. You know, that whole, like, you saw something in me when nobody else did. That kind of thing. Yep. And then, as typically happens in these types of situations, all the lights in the world go out and he gets hit by a bus. We've all been there. I mean, if I had a nickel, I would have 13 cents. Yeah. That's not a lot of sense. To... Yeah, no, that checks out. Yeah. yeah. And this is kind of what I was alluding to. This this is the fantasy element. The entire world goes dark for, you know, how many seconds was it? 12, 12 seconds? seconds? 12 seconds. And he gets knocked out. He's, he's hit by the bus mm-hmm. during the blackout. He wakes up. He's missing teeth. You know. Uh, he shaved his glorious beard. Yep. And we get treated to a wonderful scene where all of his friends are just reminding him how messed up he is now. They got him like a, some, some chattering teeth, a beautiful model bus. And they're just they're just digging it. Just busting his chops. Oh, absolutely. So good. But one of the things, so he was riding his bike home from a gig. So yeah. one of the things that he had with him when he got hit by the bus was his guitar, which, as you can imagine, got destroyed. So his friends, in order to sort of, you know, help him lick his wounds a little bit, both figuratively and literally, uh, they buy him a new guitar and they ask him, play a song for us, play a song. And he ends up playing... Yesterday. Yesterday, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they're all like, wow, that was beautiful. They're what, totally enamored. What, they're just floored. Like, what was that? You know, how, how, when did you write that? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's the, it's yesterday. It's by the Beatles. And they're like, what are the Beatles? He's like, John, Paul, George, Ringo. Come on, guys. 
and they are just like completely just like all doe eyes and, he, and he's like okay this is a really odd joke that you guys are taking way too fucking far it's like this is super specific <laughs> and totally not funny <laughs> Well, like, his friend group is, like, very sarcastic. You know, they had just gotten off the heels of, like, riding him real hard. So there's no way that he's going to believe them when they're they're just kind of staring at him blankly. Even if your friends were not those people, for people to say, I've never heard of the Beatles. To, for people in England, for God's sake, saying, like, I've right. never heard of the Beatles. It's fucking ridiculous. Granted, like, it's a suburb. It's Suffolk. No. No. So he goes home, kind of has a thought, like, maybe some of this is real. He decides to Google the Beatles, and Beatles, actual Beatles come up. The Um, bug. The bug. (laughs) And this was something that I thought was, like, really clever, was, like, there were some great first-person camera angles as he was, like, doing his Google searches. Like, it was zooming in on, like, various parts of Wikipedia, and you were kind of, like, seeing his panic and flustered attempts at finding these things through his eyes and he starts looking up other things like rolling stones yes childish gambino childish gambino yes they're still a thing yes they're still a thing then he googles oasis you know and then he googles oasis wonderwall and he can't find the band oasis anywhere and he's like oh shit okay the beatles are gone oasis is gone what else isn't here right and then he understandably i think as we all would gets the idea well if the beatles never wrote these songs in this universe or timeline or whatever the fuck i'm finding myself maybe i could he's like i don't know if this is a a dream or a nightmare but i'm gonna make it work for me and i'm gonna play the beatles music because i know it all by heart so yep yep and there's like a fun scene actually i mean this scene is kind of like repeated throughout like the next long chunk where he is just randomly remembering bits and pieces of various songs and then throwing them up on his wall with sticky notes and the one song that he can't nail down is eleanor rigby which because like the beatles have the most fucking ridiculous lyrics you know i mean basically the only thing worse would be trying to remember bob dylan's lyrics and actually like that's one aspect of this movie that i really really liked is i feel like as all good movies should, right? It forces the viewer to be in the protagonist's shoes. And it's the kind of thing that we sort of operate under a latent assumption that like, yeah, of course I know the lyrics to all the Beatles songs. But the reality is, no, you fucking don't. And if you ever found yourself in this situation, you would be doing exactly what he's doing and trying desperately to remember every fucking lyric to every fucking song you probably only know the chorus to hey jude most people only know the chorus to hey jude like and that's the funny thing is like he's struggling so hard specifically with eleanor rigby and i kept like trying to sing along with the song then i was like fuck i don't know what i no maybe i'm wrong no holy shit I don't know the words either. <laughs> well, like, it, and that, that's the funny part too, is like, he's an active participant in your own sort of turmoil about these lyrics because it's like, if you had just told me like Eleanor Rigby, I could give you the first two, uh, um, stanzas. Two, yeah, two bits of Eleanor Rigby. But watching him struggle was making me, it was a gaslighting me. It was making yeah. me doubt myself. And he's talking about like knitting socks and some shit. You're and I'm like, the socks and the, yeah. and, and I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about with socks? Is there something about socks that I don't remember? And I was like, is that, is that later in the song and he's confusing it? Or is it like, is that actually something? But I was like, no, she's picking up the rice in the church and what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah. it was really like... And in my head, I'm like, Eleanor Rigby lives in a church on a hill where a wedding is being... No, nope, that's, that's not it. That's not right. That's not right. <laughs> well, like, the... But it's got the same tune. And like, again 
kind of like, and he falls into this, right? Is like, if you can't think of the lyrics, what you just sang is close enough to be kind of the same song. Nobody else <laughs> fucking knows Nobody it. So you else. can get away with it pretty yeah. easy. Like, it's if she's picking up rice or if she's living in a, a house near the church, yeah. like, it's, yeah, it's what Eleanor Rigby does. But I, I love it when he's like, it's like, oh, when do all the lonely people come in? And it's like, yep, that's what we're all wondering too, man. That's it, the part that we all know. It is a very, very real feeling. And if you ever found yourself in the situation that he was in, it would be incredibly frustrating to it's try to remember. If you don't know the lyrics, to, you can just be like, oh shit, what is it? And then you look it up on your phone and you're like, oh, right. Yeah, I remember now. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist, dude. Mm-hmm. It only exists in your mind. Yeah, but that's that's one of like the beautiful things about this movie is that you're just dripping in Beatles nostalgia and like you want to help him remember the lyrics because you're right there just in the moment with him. Um, okay, so he plays some gigs. Yeah. Um, they don't initially immediately catch on. He's kind of waiting for that like one zinger. Yeah, he actually gets like understandably very down on himself because he's like he knows mm-hmm. for a fact that these songs are fire. Like he knows that these are winners, and he's still not gaining traction. And he's like, "Oh, well, I guess I'm the problem." Yeah, yep. he's <laughs> like, "These are the best songs in the world. Everybody knows that. Like the whole world knows the Beatles. How am I not getting?" Oh shit, it's me. The common denominator yep. is me. Yep, yep. So he's playing a gig and who knows, it may, maybe it's going to be his new last. He's reinvigorated once the world forgets about the Beatles and he realizes that he has a chance to, to do this. So he, he said he, he ventures back out, but he's playing what, what may end up being his last gig again. And it's to, what is it? It's like a, like a daytime bar kind of thing. Yeah, he's basically like a, playing like an afternoon in a pub. Yeah. Not ideal, but it's what he could get. He leaves the pub defeated. His manager slash 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 is approached in that pub by someone who has a studio and is Gavin. He's Gavin. Well, he's a Gavin. Gavin is the fucking best. Every, Gavin's the best. Everybody knows I want a, Gavin. a Gavin. Everybody wants a Gavin. Everybody wants to be a Gavin. Yeah. I I knew a Gavin once. I don't have the peace of mind to be a Gavin. No? No, I have like I have too much fucking piss and vinegar in my mind. Like, yeah, like Kevin e- energy? I, w- I would never say I have Kevin energy. God forbid I have Kevin energy. I hope yeah. I don't. But Gavin is like that motherfucker. He holds a serenity in his heart that I just don't possess. We all love Gavin. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love Gavin. Absolutely. All right. Don't you hate on Gavin? Hating on Gavin basically is, is, is hating on the Beatles. Right, right. Let's call it, calls it like so we seize it. Do you guys know a Gavin? I know a Gavin. I know a Gavin. I knew a Gavin. Do you, you know a Gavin? Once upon a time in my life, I have bumped into a Gavin or two, but no, no actively, I do not have anybody in my life named Gavin. If your name is Gavin, if 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 your name is Gavin, send us an email. Yeah, Gavin. And if you know any Gavins, cherish them. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. Okay, so Gavin, <laughs> business card. Manager slash slash, here we are, we're caught up. Boom. Owns a studio called Tracks on the Track. Oh, God, that's so good. That's so good. (laughs) That's amazing. So, except for the location, which actually really fucking sucks. But that makes it better because it's on the tracks. Okay. It makes the name better. It doesn't make the music better. (laughs) He's outside the pub, gets the card. He gives it one last shot because of Tracks on Tracks on Tracks. Stacks on Stacks on Stacks. On Stacks. And they just start jamming out. You know, I think we got like a little montage where they go through at least a full day, probably a weekend, where they're just playing music. They're Well, they're playing Beatles songs and they're loving it. 
Yeah, so they cut an album, and he starts, like, handing them out for free at his work to, like, basically every customer on their he way out the door. He basically works at a Costco. Yeah. Whatever and, uh, the UK equivalent of Costco is. Yeah. Uh, and he ends up on sort of a daytime talk show, local daytime talk show kind of thing. and Public access kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of, like, small segments, like, oh, we're going to have, like, a little food segment. We're going to have a little music segment. And he plays one of his slash the Beatles songs. And, you know, the guy makes some, like, silly-ass daytime talk show show type joke about it and later that night he gets a call from mr ed sheeran yes the ed sheeran mr the ed sheeran doctor mr the ed sheeran esquire but yeah he he's convinced that it's his friend nick just being an asshole and like messing with him so he hangs up and ed sheeran calls back again and he's like oh yeah where's carol and on the other line you hear there's no carol here and he goes well yeah there is of course there is she's always there and then you watch his little face journey and realize oh shit it actually is the ed sheeran Mm -hmm. so he hangs up the phone and ellie goes yeah what did he want and he goes it was actually ed sheeran i think at that point he's he's still doubting it a little bit he's like i think that may have could have been right and then later that night ed sheeran shows up at his house and is basically like hey i got an opening act that just canceled uh do you want to fly to my next gig with me and be my opening act to which he says oh yeah and uh yeah flies with him in his private jet to his next gig in moscow opens for him and it goes i would say pretty well pretty damn well he plays back in the ussr which i personally probably wouldn't have played in russia but it worked fucking nailed it Um, i mean this is 2019 so yeah it's a different time yeah is it though is it It, no We're going to get That's into uh, the Russian sociopolitical uh, uh, situation. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that now. <laughs> let's, uh, that'll be good. Let's all let's all weigh in. How do we feel about it? Well, I, I like living somewhere where I can have an opinion about it. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> Is the movie set in 2019, though? Yeah, thereabouts. It's a, it's a contemporary movie. Well, I, I'm going to push back on that, and Please. here's why. In the scene where he wakes up after being hit by the bus... She talks about the whole world blacked out, which they all thought would happen with Y2K, which, of course, he missed because he was unconscious. No. No, she was saying, this is the kind of thing we thought was going to happen at Y2K. It didn't, but it happened now in 2019, and you missed it, but it's funny because it's the kind of thing we thought was going to happen back then. Okay. We did not have smartphones back in 2000. Correct. Also, Ed Sheeran wasn't around. Yeah. I mean, he might have been. I a, mean, a he was an infant. It was a babe in the woods. I um, was just... I, I, like, a little ginger. Yeah. Little ginger man. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. But... I, I did have that same thought when I had like... I, yeah, I'm right there. But that was before we saw anybody with their smartphones yes. and, you know, all that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 So he starts to gain quite a bit of traction and attracts the attention of Ed Sheeran's manager and record producer who is played by Kate McKinnon. Deborah Hammer. She is the hammer. Severe. <gasps> She's yeah. so intense. She is very um what's the word? Mean. Yeah. She is fucking mean as like, hell. To to say she's blunt would be to put it 
ever so lightly. Yeah, but it's that kind of mean that like you like to watch when it's not pointed at you. Yeah. 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 No, if she said those things to me, I'd be squaring up to fight. But if she said those things to somebody sitting around me, I would just be like, oh, shit. Wish I had a camera. I don't understand how people like that exist. And, I don't like, either. Haven't been punched in the fucking mouth like, yeah how do they exist i respect it honestly how like, are you I, not i honestly I, I i have to i have to agree with you i have to respect the fact that somebody has made it to the, that point in their life they're like 40 years old they're in a high-powered position treating people like that and nobody has like just fucking smacked them nobody's squared up on you and just knocked you down a peg how, how mm-hmm. do you treat people like that that's you know like basically everything she says is super fucking shallow and cruel and cutting and is basically like the only way she can operate is by cutting down everybody around her but again she does it with a smile on her face and she does it while laughing so if you're just going by like tone and intonation it doesn't sound so bad yeah, the thing but is, it's actually really fucking cruel she's also doing it in the interest of making you a fuck ton of money <laughs> yeah so I would let somebody be mean to me if it meant a big fat paycheck, but only for so long. Only until you got the paycheck. Until I got the paycheck and cashed it and be like, awesome, you're so fired. <laughs> yep. Yep. For my next album, going to Dr. Dre. Yeah. Because <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. Right. Did we mention that Kate McKinnon was Ed Sheeran's manager? And yes. That, that was the connection? Yeah. yeah. So she flies him out to L.A. and he ends up, you know, kind of putting the pieces together for his super release, right? They're crafting his image. They're crafting his album. They're going to release this, like, big-time double album that's basically got all... It's basically the Beatles' greatest hits album. Yeah. That's what he's, that is what he's trying to compile. They're pushing him and he's trying to remember all of the fucking lyrics and tunes to these songs. They're simultaneously trying to figure out how to market the album and what to call it and all this stuff. And his pitches for all of the album names Sergeant Pepper's are, Lonely Hearts Club Band. Are the actual Beatles like albums names. And yeah. then they're shooting them down and laughing at them openly, which is really funny. <laughs> at one point, he's like, he pitches the White Album. And uh, for, we're in spoilers territory, I can say this. The actor himself is of Indian descent. So Jack pitches White Album. And he himself is not white. And the guy who's running the meeting, Winston from New Girl, is not white. So he's like, I, I, White Album's not going to work. There's there's a lot of white here. It's, it's too much white. It's got diversity issues. Yeah, diversity yeah. issues yeah. is what he called it. That, and like, you like cock your head a little bit. And you're like, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh. So okay. Uh, he's getting sort of like inundated with all of this really thin, shallow monetary bullshit. Meanwhile... As you can imagine, he's sort of pining after what he left behind in England. He ends up sort of running up against the wall, cannot figure out what to do, how to produce these songs, and ends up going to Liverpool (laughs) to try to, like, gain some inspiration from what the Beatles sort of drew on it. And he really doesn't have the same inspiration (laughs) that they had because he's not from there, and he has no connection to these places. Yep, and all of these places have changed, you know, like Strawberry Fields, it's just a construction site, Yep, you know? (laughs) Everything has changed. Okay, so like you mentioned, I think at this point, the narrative, it's it's following his kind of stalling out a little bit, and the distance that's growing with him and Minnelli. Where are we at? Like, So he's in Liverpool, she comes to see him, and they have... A pretty close moment. They almost uh, took 
Copper light? Yeah. Um, uh, they almost stup. And they get they both get really rip roaring drunk, which is probably not the best thing to do when you're that drunk. Is stup stup your best friend slash manager slash 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 of twenty years. Uh, so she ends up stopping it sort of at, like, I mean, right at the 11th hour. She's like, hey, you're going to kind of fuck back off to L.A. I don't know when I'm going to see you. You're, like, you're not here anymore. You're a star on the rise, and I'm being left in the dust. And so if and you can't... And she's got a one-night stand kind of Yeah, yeah if you yeah. can't promise that this is going to be more, I can't do this. So she leaves. The next morning, he wakes up. And then totally fucking botches it all over again through sober eyes. Like, he tries to express his love, kinda. And see, this is what I was talking about. This is that classic rom-com moment where the guy is chasing the girl down in the airport and runs to the gate and says, I love you, through the window of the airport while he's watching the plane taxi off. And then he turns around and the girl's standing there and they embrace and they share their love. Same situation here. He runs down. He chases the taxi center down to Lime Station and he's calling her on the phone because she's on the train and he's like, I thought I missed you. And she's like, well, I'm right behind you, dipshit. And he turns around and he sits down in the cafe to basically declare his love. And then he doesn't. And then he doesn't. And she shuts him down and was like, well, better fuck back off to L.A. Which yeah, is kind of broken at this point. Like yeah. his his steam is gone. Which is kind of still like I don't know. In a classic rom com, you're right. It's like chasing down the plane, and then you profess your love, and you get back together, and it's and like it's happily ever after. He fucked it up real bad. Yeah, he did. Because she gave him an out. Like a billion outs. Like the night before he goes to LA, she declares her love for him. He doesn't pull the trigger. Then she comes to Liverpool, and they almost stoop. And he fucks it up by not saying, like, no, I'm, there's definitely going to be a relationship behind this one-night stand. And then the next morning, he fucks it up all over again after he chases her down. And then he just goes to Los Angeles. He fucks it up three times. At least. Yeah, if you don't just count. And there like, were the, several missed goodnight kisses. If you and... don't just count the general 20 years of, like, fucking it up, right? Like, it was just soft fucking it up. One double decade of missed opportunities. So he goes to L.A., and they finish the album, and they need to figure out where to have his big release, because they wanted to sort of hold him back for this big show, and he ends up doing it at a hotel that he was supposed to play a gig at a long time ago, and it comically closed, like, permanently before he could play a gig there. They went out of business three weeks before he was supposed to play there. And Ellie had called him and, and let him know a couple of things. One, that hotel had reopened, and two, she is now seeing somebody... And the person she's seeing is, is the gr- Gavin. Is the greatest person in the world. Oh, Gavin. Gavin. We love Gavin. We love Gavin. Well, at this point. Good for Gavin. I don't know. I don't know. Gavin, read the room. Do, do not say a slanderous word I'm just against saying, Gavin. Gavin, read the, read the room. Okay? Gavin read the room. Yeah. And the room was in Los Angeles. Well, and the, the room super had... hot, smoky eyed chick from across the room. Who expressed an interest in him, even though he was very clearly number two. He read that room, too. The room had Ellie, and it did not have Jack. I'm just saying, Gavin should have known how I felt about the situation. That's true. And adjusted. Mm, Yeah, you know, he's a Gavin. Everybody loves him. Yep. Classic Gavin. So yeah, she's together with Gavin. The Pier Hotel is back open for business, and suddenly Jack is struck with inspiration he's going to do 
his superstar debut of the greatest songs ever written in a hotel that nobody's heard of in a town that nobody's heard of in the suburbs of where he grew up. Admittedly, a really awesome place because it's like on the waterfront. So you basically have an unlimited amount of beach <laughs> that people can pile onto. Like you could cram tens of thousands of people Absolutely. for this show. It's actually, it was a really good And it was a choice. picturesque scene. I mean, this yeah. place was gorgeous in Gorleston. And I think the, the concert goes pretty well. And he ends up, um, he has always been undergoing a sort of like slow attack of conscience, but it really comes to a head in the sort of, let's say, green room of the hotel, right? His prep room following the concert. He really starts to struggle with this idea of like, I'm lying, I'm ripping people off, I'm not being truthful. And at that moment, that's probably my favorite scene in the movie because there are these two people he keeps seeing in various places. And we just um, get little snapshots of them. We don't get a full picture. Yeah, you see their faces and their faces are speaking volumes. They recognize what's going on. They recognize these songs. And the woman is following him around Liverpool. There's this like Russian guy who was at his first like show in Moscow. And they sort of like circling in on him slowly. And you're like, oh fuck, this is gonna be bad. And he thinks the same thing. He sees that one of them in like the press room before the concert is like holding a yellow submarine, a toy yellow submarine. And he's like, they fucking know. And so he invites them back and they talk to him. And it is my favorite scene in the movie because you are so set up to feel how he would feel. You're like, oh my God, this is coming like a freight train. They're going to fucking, they're going to hit me. They're, they're going to out me. They're going to out me. They're going to try and make me feel bad. They're going to arrest me. They're going to do something. And they just stand there and they thank him. Yeah. And he's like totally taken aback. And they're like, we just love these songs. And like these songs just disappeared from the world. And you brought them back. And we know that, you know, coming along with singing these songs and stuff, you're gaining fame and notoriety for something that you didn't do. But at the same time, we just want the songs and we love you for bringing them back. And we just want you to sort of use that fame and notoriety. Just use it well. Yeah. And they all like embrace each other. Like it's a really like heartwarming scene. It is. It's like it takes such a hard left turn and it tugs so hard at my heartstrings because... I would, you know, again, I would be so racked with guilt if I were him. The way he does in the scene, right? Like, you, you really empathize with the protagonist. And then it just sort of dissolves when, like, the whole situation gets reframed in that way, right? It's like the absence of those songs is a greater evil than somebody gaining notoriety and, and fame and, and fortune for not their own work. It's kind of like he, he ends up getting, like, permission, you know? Yes. You know, he, like there's like guilt and tension that's kind of like ratcheting up throughout and this scene is just like a release of that tension and it's like look you don't have to feel guilty about this what you're doing is very positive you're, you're bringing these things back i don't tend to have a lot of quotes but one of my two quotes this evening actually fits in this scene i feel like it encapsulates the movie like the vibe in general but uh one of those two characters the lady of the two i don't, I don't think they ever really even gave him names no but when they're talking about how they missed those lyrics, they missed those songs, and him bringing them back was beautiful for them. She states, a world without the Beatles is infinitely worse. And it's just this moment where he embraces what he is doing. You know, like he's, I don't know, it, it's, it's such a release of tension, you know. What I'm doing is bad. It's for the good of everyone. Yeah, but like, it's better than not doing it in yeah. some ways, right? Well, and like... 
to release the Beatles music without anyone knowing the inspiration for the Beatles music, it's a little less meaningful. But at the same time, like, their music is so meaningful on its own. That's, yeah, that's one of the things that I love about the Beatles specifically is that, like, it's been around for so long and they have so many different songs and different moods and and, and atmospheres to them. Everyone has their own personal story connected to one or a myriad of different Beatles songs. And so what I took from this scene is that, like, everybody owns the Beatles. And it's all for a different personal connection, and it's okay. Like, me, my dad passed away in 1998. I didn't really get to know him because I was five years old. But my dad had this massive record collection, and we had, like, three old beat up antique record players and when I got a little bit older I was able to fix one of them to get it working and I started listening to my dad's old records and he had I swear just about every Beatles album ever released and I got to connect with my dad posthumously by listening to the Beatles and so the Beatles have always been this really warm presence in my life and their music is really important to me and their songs are really important to me for so many reasons, but I know so many people that have similar stories like that. So you get to see these two strangers basically embodying that. They're like, this music is important to us and it doesn't matter why. All that matters is that you brought it back when nobody else could. Mm -hmm. And they said something funny they were like well we can't sing so it's kind of up to you it doesn't matter if we know the lyrics we don't play music and we don't sing so we are incapable of doing this Mm -hmm. which like we said there are other things that are missing from this world the band oasis coca-cola coca-cola is missing they only have pepsi cigarettes are missing from this world thank god and one of the other things that is missing is harry potter and you don't learn that until the very end so you're kind of like oh is he gonna write harry potter but You also, at the same time, get kind of the sense that, like these two characters who know the Beatles songs but cannot produce them because they don't play music, they don't sing, he probably, even though he knows Harry Potter, could not produce it because he's not a writer. Right. And so it's interesting from a philosophical sense of, like, what we can do and what, you know, in some ways we're, like, obliged to do, given our skill sets. Right? Like, he has the ability to bring this beautiful music into the world, even if it's not his own, simply by virtue of knowing how to play many instruments and knowing how to sing really well. And so there is that sort of, like, sense that, like, he kind of has an obligation to, and I think that's what these two people sort of reminded him of, is, yes, you know, there are some ill-gotten gains as far as, like, money and fame and stuff like that, but you're the only person who can do this. You should do this. Yeah. Right, right. No, it's, it's a very wholesome scene. It's um, powerful. They also give him one very, very special gift. Oh. Mark, you, you look like you're thinking. Did you forget what the gift was? I the gift was. The gift is a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And the piece of paper... Oh, was it like an address? It's yeah. an address. Yeah. It's an address for um, Mr. Jonathan Lenone. Lenone. So, so the Beatles may be missing, but one thing isn't missing anymore. Lennon. If the Beatles never became the Beatles, right, John Lennon never would have been assassinated, so... Yeah. But that doesn't mean he didn't exist in the world. It's fair. He just never became which means the John that, Lennon we all know. As you say, which means that John, Paul, George, and Ringo probably all exist in their own alternate realities, doing their own things, but they never became the Beatles. Pete Best never became a drummer. Was that scene with James Corden, was that a, was that a dream? I think it was. Yes, it was. I think it was like a stress dream, like a, okay. a anxiety dream. Yeah. Okay, so 
After this wholesome meeting, you know, he goes to the top of the mountain, meets with his, uh, his Sherpa, Mr. Lennon, and he decides to make a change. At the next big concert, it's an Ed Sheeran show. I don't think we're skipping anything. Here. More, more accurately, it's a Jack Malik show. Well, yeah, featuring Ed Sheeran. But like, they'd almost like play it off like the audience didn't know that he was gonna be there. Well, they didn't. Yeah, Ed Sheeran throughout this, like we said, he discovered him by just like watching this random borderline public access show. And throughout it, they've like remained in contact, remained friends. And it's weird because Ed Sheeran is so established. He like reveres this guy. <laughs> he yeah. reveres Jack. And um, Jack calls him up and asks a favor. And Ed Sheeran is playing Wembley and has fucking sold out the stadium. And then sort of like finishes his set and then calls Jack on stage to play some songs. And he puts on another full fucking set, An which is awesome. amazing show. So he uses this opportunity to confess his love for his lady. And she is a little bit taken aback. She's taken aback. Yeah. In addition to professing his love, he also um, makes a public declaration that he did not write these songs. They were written by Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison, yada, yada, yada. And he says this, which, again... Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows who they are. If people looked them up, they probably wouldn't know who the fuck they are. And these people, we know at least John Lennon is still alive. If he ever saw that, he'd be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Right. I did not write this. But he, he did the right thing. He said they're not his songs. He's just performing them because he didn't feel like they would be able to get them out, which is a fact. And then he also releases all of the songs for free to the public because, again, kind of like the, what those people said, right? Like, And what Mark said. They belong to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they are they are special to everybody. They have meaning for everybody. And he is in the unique position of not being bound by legal bullshit yeah. that would force him to, you know, I mean, like, Michael Jackson owned the rights to a ton of Beatles songs at the time of his death. Like, that shit gets fucking traded around like Pokemon cards. And this guy is in the very unique position of being able to release them all for free so people can enjoy them. Yeah, because in that universe, he is both the the artist and the, the, the writer and the performer. Yeah. Which doesn't always kind of line up. Um, but this is another like wholesome scene where, as he's confessing his theft, more or less, he starts losing the crowd and people kind of start booing. And then he kind of brings it back home and talks about how much he appreciates the journey. He talks about how he's released everything online and he kind of wins everybody back with his profession of love. I think that was kind of like what endears him to the crowd. So he takes off, leaves, concerts over. He's trying to chase down his lady. And that kind of in short order, sort of like... Uh, excuse me, let's not forget about... Gavin! Gav- Gavin shows up. Oh, yeah, she... Does she just drop him, you know? Or he, Basically. No, he, no, he Gavin morphs. Gavin g- gives up for them. And he's That's why Gavin's so great. He walks up and he's like, Ellie... Uh, Mark doesn't look convinced that Gavin is as great as he is. No, no he's he, not. He walks up to Jack and Ellie having a conversation about at this very public declaration of love, and Gavin looks at Ellie and goes... Look, I always knew I came second, and second's not that bad. And then he just steps back and fades into obscurity. What a treasure. Like, what a gem! So this is actually, this is one of my favorite things that filmmakers will do, is not making, and I'm going to say the other guy, but like, let's just use that as a catch-all term for the other person, right? Mm -hmm. Not making the other guy an asshole, to me, is like one of the most endearing things. Like, showing genuine human kindness through a tertiary character 
like my go-to example prior to this movie this would probably be my go-to example now but my go-to example prior to this movie is the movie liar liar oh at the end jerry is just like well i recognize that you very much want to get back together with your ex-husband and unfortunately i still have a job in boston i have to go to i hope you guys have a very nice life if things don't work out i'm in boston so bye i care about you a great deal and he just like very graciously Mm -hmm. carrie always just like walks away yep I fucking loved that scene in Liar Liar and Gavin's sort of brief monologue in this movie, I would would say matches and perhaps even exceeds that. Mm -hmm. Now, to be fair, Gavin had a chick in the wings, you know, the scene where he... Gavin's no fool. Yeah, I mean, when when he lets her go, there's, like, another face. This other chick just happens to be with them and is, like, looking at the situation. And then the next scene you see Gavin in, he's with that girl. So, like, you know what? I'm gonna little little conspiracy here. Gavin was uh, maybe two timing Ellie. Yeah. No, sir. Gavin uh, is just he happens I'm not convinced. to be he happens to be in demand. Thank you very much. I'm not convinced. Gavin is. I think I is, think our our, our mystery. You know friend, we're, get, we're getting heated. We're you know getting what? heated. You're 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 insulting my man, Gavin, over here. I think our mystery saying. friend was an innocent bystander and. Witnessed. She's a floozy. Who knew Gavin's worth? She is a treasure, sure. Floozy. Yeah, she witnessed the depth of his character. No, she took advantage of a moment. She exploited it. (sighs) You know what? This is where the line is drawn. That woman, sir, won a Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, she did. Yeah. For for what? (laughs) Secondsies? Sorry. Sorry, you're hey, supposed to be. You know what? If Gavin know. has taught me anything, it's that second is actually pretty good. Some yeah. of the some of the best songs in the world never made it to the number one yep. spot. Well, I mean, one is the loneliest number. <clears throat> Three Dog Night. Um, <laughs> what else we got? Anthony Starr. Yeah. <laughs> Reznor. Uh, okay, so yeah, basically they get together and then some, and he gets his teaching job back. And he likes to play these fun songs for the kids, and his disposition changes pretty considerably. And this is something that, like, I, I would say, uh, I could say probably at that point, roll credits. But before I do, I do want to say that, like, one thing I love and hate about this movie. So I guess we're kind of getting into likes and dislikes, but yeah, we can just transition. He is so fucking miserable. He is such a miserable guy. Like mm-hmm. he is just that guy who life isn't working out the way he wants it. And he's just really fucking whiny about it. And like, you know, I'm not saying I'm not that guy. I'm not saying nobody, you know, well, I'm, I'm not that guy. Fuck, like, I, I, I like my life. But wow. I am, <laughs> I mean, it's way better than your guys' lives. Let's just, yeah. let's just say. Uh, no, but he. <laughs> I mean, I don't, have car- I don't have carpet in my basement. So. Ooh, ooh, fancy bitch. Mm. <laughs> fancy bitch. Get a little bougie with your floors here, Colin. <laughs> guy's got a blanket over here. <laughs> Two blankets over there. Um, no, a couple but, of sofas. <laughs> We're never going to let him get it You up. got sofas? <laughs> <laughs> but he's just really fucking miserable, like, through the whole movie. And you get the sense that if he didn't hit it big, he would... Oh, this is, this is I think, the point that I wanted to make pre-spoilers. If he didn't hit it big, he would have ended up with Ellie. And your point was, like, the fame was the wedge, and he wouldn't have ended up with her if it weren't, like, for that sort of, like, that conflict, that friction. I think he would have ended up with her, and I think he would have been fucking twice as miserable. Because his his goals would have been crushed, he would have left everything in the rearview mirror, and he would have been, you know, as de- depressed and as, like, miserable as he was in this movie, he would have been even worse after he gave up and 
married her and he would have ruined her life by being a fucking sourpuss. The journey he goes on here, even though he's miserable through the whole journey too, his disposition at the end changes in light of what he learned along the journey. And when he does finally get together with her, they can lead a happy life. So that actually plays into my point really well, that his fame was the wedge. How does every rom-com end? Happily ever after, right? Mm-hmm. So without the fame being the wedge, he would have been twice as miserable, he would have been a despot, they would have ended up getting divorced, and he would have lost the house and been riding his bike. Not happily ever after. They would have gotten together, though. Your point was that it was the instigation of them coming together. But I never said that they wouldn't get together. I said the fame was the wedge that drove the rom-com. I see what you got. You guys are both basically saying the same thing, just from right. different angles. So so what I'm saying is that the, the fame was indeed the wedge, because without the fame, he would have ended up with her and been totally miserable about it. So it wouldn't have been your classic rom-com. But I feel like the classic rom-com is... They get together, and then there's a wedge, and then they get back together. Well... I think in this, they were never together. The wedge existed independent of their love story, and it was necessary for the development of his character... Like, the Wedge, or in this case, like, his fame and his his stardom, it drove his character to be something that he wasn't before, which facilitated them getting together. This is not something that I would say is, like, a fundamental change like that is, I think, seldom seen in rom-coms. It's usually, like, barbershop trickery. It's, it's, it's something really simple, like, I didn't know you. I didn't, right. you know, we never spent any time together. Or, oh, I realized that I love you even more than baseball. That was a fever pitch reference. Um, it's some really silly, inane bullshit. Yeah. This was like, his character had to develop to a point where they could live happily ever after. And I agree with you. Yeah. Um, because this isn't your classic rom-com. This isn't A plus B equals C. Yeah, which is why I feel like this... This is a twist on your classic rom-com. This has... I wouldn't say it's not a rom-com, but I would say it's a it's a good example of an edge case. It of something a, that, like, you could really make the argument that this isn't, and I think you could make the argument that it is, and it's right there, sort of... I mean, at the end of the day, this movie lives and breathes the relationship, the romance, and it is also a comedy. Yes, but it is not, it is not, it doesn't follow the structure of a rom-com, but it is a romance and a comedy. Which, yes, which I think, I think that's my point, right? It's like, we've discussed rom-coms in the past where, mm -hmm. like, one of the hallmarks of rom-com is, of rom-coms is they're so formulaic. They follow that classic, like, get together, silly-ass bullshit drives us apart, and then we get back together, right? right. I think and I'll it's... still die on the hill that this counts as a rom-com. I would, I would t well, I don't know if I would die on it, but, like, that's the hill I would go to. I would fight with you guys on that hill, and then I would abandon that hill when the army that is the evidence against it seemed overwhelming, <laughs> and then I would watch you from a different hill die in your beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> or we would win the argument and you would sit on your little lonely hill like, man, I wish I was on that hill. <laughs> I would be perfectly happy on that hill because I don't feel particularly like... He's not impassioned enough about I, this being a rom-com or feel not like being a rom-com. It is so, like, it's so strongly an edge case that the phrase I would die on the hill to defend this position <laughs> is so fucking far from a, a point in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Well, who's dying? And who? which hills? 
Anyway, okay, you know, there's one thing that I, I didn't like about this movie. I did not like the soundtrack, you know? It was terrible. Yeah. Oh, Beatles. Oh, God. Uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper. Pepper's nasty. Makes Blech. you sneeze. Okay. <laughs> hey, dude. You know? No, dude, this movie fucking slaps. Absolutely. Um, slaps pancakes. Slaps. Wait, slaps cakes? Slaps, slaps pancakes. Slaps pancakes. Uh, band name. Slaps pancakes. So, fun story um, about slaps pancakes. All right. Oh, yeah. No, this is a thing. I was having the conversation where, like, you know, we all have it every couple of years, right? Where it's like, fucking new terminology. People are coming up with new fucking words all the time. I don't understand them. Brr, 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 I'm old. I was having it in a drunken conversation with my brother-in-law in a basement. And I was like, I fucking, I swear to God, like, n- just next week it's going to be like, oh, the fucking song slaps pancakes. And it wasn't a year, maybe a year and a half later, people start throwing around the word slaps. And I was like... Motherfucker! You could have made a lot of money. Like, I didn't say. I, admittedly, I didn't just say slaps. I said slaps pancakes. But like, come on, guys! It's a derivative. Even but, a de- yeah. yes, right? Like slaps pancakes is the grandfather of, of slaps. Of slaps. So slaps pancakes band name or not? Fine. I, I will relegate it to a band name, even though I created a cultural phenomenon in my angry and derisive so <laughs> comments are, about today's use. Should you have saying, marketed it. Are you saying that Mark is the Jack Malik of your Beatles? That's right. That's right. He sure. marketed it. Thank you. I see what you Why am I having such a tough time spelling pancakes? Are you... Pancakes? Panacatas. Panacatas! Panacatas. What else did we like? Panacopatas. I like the quippiness. There was a lot of like just British quippiness. Yes. Yeah. And I a lot of dry humor. I really enjoy that. I love the joke that is like in the corner that like you have to you have to be looking in that corner and it's smiling back at you, you know, but it's not the focus of the scene. Right. You know? Those are my favorite kind of jokes. And this movie had a lot of those. That is a very British type of joke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this movie had shockingly good physical comedy. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not the kind of thing I typically remark on because, like, I feel like physical comedy in today's day and age, it's, like, the golden age of physical comedy was, like, the silent film era, right? Buster Keaton was the the godfather of physical comedy because everything had to be physical, right? Today, there's so many other things you can do to make something funny. So it is both unnecessary, but also incredibly refreshing when filmmakers decide to inject that into their movies. And this movie, for whatever reason, because it didn't need it, it didn't have to have it, but there was some really fucking funny physical comedy in this movie. People like tripping and bumping and you know doing their thing and doing like weird ass yoga poses while they're having a conversation and there was his, a lot of his buddy being like kind of drunk and just bouncing down a hallway and it's just like you didn't have to do that there was no reason to do that but like good on you yeah <laughs> it makes it more i don't know like approachable or like i don't know what the, what the right word like is low stakes almost yeah like casual approachable tangible i don't know there's something well, like, to it. It's like relatable. Yeah, and like even in the very beginning of the movie, when one of his friends comes running into the pub and like barely makes his seat before the end of uh, Jack's song, and he's like, Yeah, Encore, play some song. And they're like, He already played it. Well, play it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was also something that I really liked about this movie, but I feel like I should let you mention it are you are, are, are you talking about cinematography this i i am talking about cinematography ah, I, I loved it it was so great oh my god the creative camera there's, angles there's a lot 
of like, that. The usage of the camera, the forced perspective. At one point, there was such a massive tilt to the camera while two characters are walking. There's like just this random, insane, and overactive tilt for no reason at all. And then it just pops right back. And all it does is create this unsettled feeling. At one point, they make use of a window in Jack and his parents' home while his parents have, you know, friends coming over and they use the same shot three times. The shot is the door opens and through this window that's like partially obscured, you see the character whose face is obscured by the window. Yeah, it's almost like the material is warped. So like it's still like a reflective surface, like you can still see it, but like it, it's just like a just like, a light warping effect. Like the center of the window is translucent. Eventually, Ed Sheeran comes to the door, and the window purposefully obstructs Ed Sheeran's face. And for a moment, I thought we were gonna have one of those cameos where they got somebody to play as a body double for Ed Sheeran that kind of looks enough like Ed Sheeran that with enough obscurity, you would just be like, oh, Ed Sheeran, and then we never see him again. Yeah, they definitely belabored that and reveal. They they drove that to make the audience believe that that's what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. And then they just abandon that altogether and reveal fucking Ed Sheeran. You know what? I bet that was intentional. I mean, obviously, it's intentional if it's in the frame, but Malik is also unsure if this is really Ed Sheeran. So yeah. I, think, yeah. I think that was the intention. I think so that the audience is like, that's not, that's, this actually, this isn't actually Ed Sheeran, you know? No, it's going to be some random British dude that happens to be named Ed Sheeran. Yeah, or... And it's not the Ed Sheeran. Yeah, and then, like, the the image is warped a little bit, which really just, like, reinforces that. When we don't have the warping effect, the camera angle is right behind Ed Sheeran. I think it was intentional, so that, like, you're like, that, that's not really... There's no way that's no. actually Ed Sheeran. No, there's no way. Um, but, oh my god. God, there were so many good shots. Um, the the slow motion of when he gets hit by the bus, mm-hmm. the transition where he's playing on the beach or in the street and seamlessly transitions to him playing the same song in the exact same stanza, but in the pub. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in the, in the, it's not a subway, but like in the tunnel. And like, you've got some dialogue that kind of like shoots down the road. Yeah, dude, it, it, oh, it's very creative. It was, it was yes. very good. Uh, What else? What else uh, did we like? Maybe something we didn't like. I can't think of anything that I personally didn't. I did already mention that like, he's really fucking miserable through a lot of this movie. And like, I feel like they could have made him a little less whiny. That's true. Like, That's true. they really belabor it. And it's like, I okay. feel like it was important, but I agree in that. They could have lessened his misery just a little. I think it's like, it is the spiritual equivalent of like book five, Harry Potter, right? Like Harry in Order of the Phoenix was just insufferable. He was so angsty and whiny and like, you're just like, dude, shut the fuck up. I know you have trauma and you have like, you know, your parents were murdered and like yada, yada, yada. We've like, all been there, we've all, Harry, come on, move on. Get, Join the fucking club, Harry. What wizard therapy is for. And like, okay, your teachers are constantly trying to kill you at the end of the school year. Like, we've all been to middle school. But like, the tone shift that that you felt in book five of Harry Potter, that's kind of the way it felt. Is like, they could have made Jack in this movie like Harry Potter in books one through four or six or seven. 
they didn't have to make him like book five. No. And they did. Because <laughs> Harry still has all that tragedy and well, all that misery, right? Well, like, and here's <laughs> here's my thing. To go on with Colin's point, Jack now realizes that he is the only person in the world that knows the Beatles music. So he immediately feverishly starts putting post-it notes up on his wall of the Beatles catalog. And he's not happy about it. He's like manic about it. And then he has his first show, which goes badly. And then when he finally arguably makes it big, he's getting recognized. He's getting the fame that he always wanted. He's a household name at this point, and he's fucking pissed about it. Like, at no point in this movie is he excited that he gets to be the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, other than those things, and I don't think that, that that particular thing, like, bothered me as much, but I see what you guys are saying. The only other thing that bugged me is, like, I am particularly sensitive to when, like, movies make the plot advance due to character stupidity. Mm. And this movie did that, like, his inability to, like, talk about his relationship with her and, like, recognize what's right in front of him and like that is from a viewer standpoint that is incredibly frustrating and it's not frustrating in like a good like oh i can see what he's going through and the turmoil and the this and the that it's not a relatable experience it's a frustrating and stupid experience it is akin to my least favorite thing in the entire world which is like horror movies where like people die because they make just the most absurd fucking decisions like oh I managed to stab the killer in the back and the killer is now down on the ground, incapacitated. Now is the time to turn my back on them and run away, not very fast, toward a dead end and then bang on the locked door, whatever it happens to be, with my back... With my back turned to them and let them catch up. No, you don't. You take the, the fucking knife out of their back and you saw their fucking head off. Like, why the fuck is this? And then they do the same thing. This the same person might do it two, three times in the movie. And to me, that is lazy writing. And it's really frustrating because the narrative is being pushed along because somebody is not making, they're not even making bad decisions. They're making like, completely asinine decisions and this movie if he did that once maybe but he did it like four times where he's she is giving him she's serving her heart up on a silver platter and he he, like looks at it yeah he looks at it he doesn't even he doesn't reject it he doesn't accept it he just stands there in fucking bewilderment and it's like until the waiter takes it away yeah it's like get a fucking clue you dipshit pick up a fork damn it i that that frustrates me real bad sometimes it's endearing you know, sometimes it is in the its execution in this particular movie. You're right; it felt clunky. Like, yeah, like it. it I will say the fit. the first time that he does it on screen, where she, you know, they're in his bedroom and they're throwing him a going away party because he's headed to the states to make it big, and that's when she decides to declare her love and drop the L bomb. Not great timing on her part because he's kind of already committed to this thing. So I can understand where he's like, okay, that's a lot to process. I already agreed to this thing, but you and I are going to have to have a conversation about this. He never says that. He just stares at her blankly like a deer in the headlights and then just walks out the door. Yeah. Which Uh, speaks volumes. Yeah. So if he had been like, wow, okay, I need to process this. We'll talk about this when I get back. You know, it's It's still not great. What's kind of funny about that is like, 
there's another scene in this movie that actually reminds me of that a little bit where he goes to LA and what's her what's her name? Kate McKinnon's Kate McKinnon Deborah Hammer. Uh, she's having him meet like an image consultant and they're going to like craft his image and he's like do I need an image? And she says something to the effect of like if you don't have an image, your non-image becomes your image. And first of all, that's fucking hilarious and probably like in a really sick and demented way kind of true. But it sort of applies to his handling or botching of the situation, like in his room, for example, where he just like walks out. It's like, your not handling of this situation is still a decision that you have made and it will still have consequences. And the consequences are you're shitting all over the heart of the girl who is professing her love to you, who you love as well. And you just cannot, like, recognize it. And it's like... But he's acting as if he's not making the decision, which is right. fucking frustrating. It's it's like somebody that says, I don't want to vote because I don't want to take a position. Guess what, honey? You just took a position. Yeah, it's right. going to happen whether you want it to or not. <laughs> right. Well, um... Are we ready to move into quotes? Perhaps? I think so. I already dropped one of mine. I'll just remind you guys of it was. It was that bit where uh, a world without the Beatles is infinitely worse. And, you know, I, I that quote really stuck with me. Because, again, I, I feel like... That's the message of this movie. Um, my other one, I just, I thought it was hilarious. Kate McKinnon's character was discussing her feelings on one of the songs that he had just performed. You know, and I, and I forget exactly what the lead up to it was, but but basically, I'll ad-lib a little bit of it, but basically she's, she's talking about the song. She says, you know, it, it, it's simple, but not quite charming. What I enjoyed about that really is, like, almost all of her lines, they're just so dry and hurtful and... I found that fucking hilarious. It hurts you in a very <laughs> gentle but brutal way. Yeah. It's like it's like, hey, I'm gonna stab you in the neck, and that's just how it is. Yeah, yeah. Again, I want not not because I need to, but because I would like to cause you physical pain. Right. And I just don't <laughs> care. You know, it's not that I don't yeah. like you. I just don't acknowledge you. The true mark of a good sociopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I think the thing that like particularly stung about that scene was like she was talking about two songs one of which was a Beatles song and one of which was what he and all of his friends and family consider his best original song, which is, was a summer... <laughs> the summer song. The summer song. And she's like, she says of the Beatles song, she's like, great, it's amazing, it's inspiring. And then she talks about his song. And she, it's simple. It's simple. But, what did she say? It's but sim- not quite charming. But not charming. <laughs> not, not quite charming. Not quite charming. That's like, fucking, that's horrible. Ugh, it's like, I'm trying to be your friend, but I'm not. Uh, who else? What do we got? So riding on the coattails of that, we've got another Kate McKinnon quote. She is meeting Ellie for the first time, and he introduces Ellie and says, oh, this is Ellie. And Kate McKinnon says to Ellie, the Ellie? To which Ellie responds, oh, he's mentioned me? Kate McKinnon goes, no, I don't know anything about his life because he is a product to me. (laughs) Fucking brutal. Yes. But she, again, she says it laughing and smiling, almost as if she's joking, but you know she's not joking. And then she just turns and walks out of the room. Yeah. That's, just, that's the beauty of it, is that she's not joking. <laughs> like, honestly, it would make for a really good joke if she, like, laughed and be like, I'm just fucking with you. You know, like, but let's see what else I have. I have one. So when Ed Sheeran first comes to his house and they're talking in his kitchen, his dad is just, like, just blazing through the kitchen looking for... The pickles. uh, The pickles anywhere he can. He's looking in the cupboards. He's looking in the fridge. And he's, like, completely not acknowledging the fact that Ed Sheeran is standing in this kitchen. And then on his way out the door, he looks at Ed Sheeran and goes, you know, you kind of look like Ed Sheeran. And Ed Sheeran goes, well, I am Ed Sheeran. And the dad just goes, oh, well done. 
<laughs> and then he just leaves. So in the beginning of the movie, Ellie is trying to convince Jack that he can still make it. He's, she's trying to inspire him. He's feeling down on himself. There's a shocker. And she goes, "What? come on, it, it, it'll just take a miracle. Miracles happen every day. And he goes, oh yeah, like what? And she's like, just grasping at straws. And she's like, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch becoming a sex symbol? <laughs> <laughs> Which admittedly is one of the stranger phenomena of our time. Yeah. I mean, he's handsome, but in like a, I found him on one of the moons of Jupiter kind of handsome. Right. Well, he's both uh, a famous physician. He's, you know, a sorcerer, you know, a dragon. You know, these are all positions a of power. famous detective. Oh, yeah. I don't know. He's pretty hot. Would you? I don't know. He got his start from Sherlock, from what I understand. At least that's widely accepted to be the truth and in that show he was not a sex symbol wow um, you guys are dripping over gavin over here but we bring up benedict gavin's a delight i'm gonna take uh benedict all right benedict you, over gavin. You're, you're over here with benedict cucumber patch yeah and it's fine you know what i'll take both of them me and benedict cucumber patch and gavin we're gonna go start a, a commune where we just bone all the time mm. i i approve mm. skeletal lamping uh, you know what? I was gonna move on to the next quote, but I think we need to. I think we need to discuss that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think that's. The, I, I first of all, I think that's a band name. Skeletal Lamping. Well, it is an album name. It actually is an album name. It is I don't an know, album. I don't know name. if we can actually. I don't know if we can actually. I mean, we could try. Is to. it a real thing? Yes. What? Pray tell. He doesn't have it. Of Montreal. Skeletal. Lamping. He's just. He's just saying things. Now. Of Montreal. Oh, last time you guys uh, questioned my deep. My deep cuts. You is get yourself a Anthony Star moment. Anthony Star. We didn't. To, to be fair, we didn't doubt you. We were rooting for you. Yeah. And we were. We were impressed. We were impressed. And we were it, very proud. It, it bore fruit. Also, I would like to mention that that was like 15 episodes ago. At least. <laughs> He's never gonna let it go. No. No, I'm not. Thank you. Thank he you. did say that though. Admittedly, he did. He, he did, did say, "I'm not gonna say let he's this never go." Let it yeah. Go. He he was very upfront about that. Skeletal lamping. I, what is that though? Like, is that Skeletal Lamping studio album by Of Montreal? Is it is it by Montreal, Of Montreal, or by Of Montreal? Yeah, the band is Of Montreal. Okay, okay. What's the genre? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I'm looking at the images here, and it is not clear. It is not helping me. It's like mm. naked people dancing in like a medieval tapestry type motif under a sky of like paisley flowers and teeth it's pretty good it's um pretty good the teeth. i don't know if i believe you don't have to skeletal lamping sclamping sclamping which is skeletal camping which is also what you call it when you go camping and you find disposed human remains yeah sclamping which is way cooler than skeletal lamping yes less copyright infringement yes <laughs> It just has a little bit less of that. Yes. You know? Any more quotes over there? Yes, I do have one more. So he's trying to play Let It Be for his parents. And it, let's say, does not go well. And it, again, something this movie does great is have you like feel for the character. And it is so fucking frustrating because his parents keep interrupting him. And then the doorbell rings. And then the neighbor comes in. And then a phone rings. And he starts this song over like four fucking times and the tension is building and he's just getting more and more frustrated and he just ends up shouting at them he's like this is let it be you are the first people in the entire world to hear this it's like watching da vinci paint the mona lisa in front of your bloody eyes 
<laughs> it's cocky. Well, like, like that's the thing is all of his shit sounds so cocky coming from him mm-hmm. because everybody thinks he wrote it, mm-hmm. but it's not cocky because he's giving you know in he's his giving mind credit to George, Paul, John, and Ringo. In his mind, he's like. This song that I didn't write is objectively a masterpiece. You should listen to it, but everybody hears, listen to the song I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Look how great I am. Yep. All right. What you got over there? All right. So I've got four quotes. The first one comes before he ever makes it big. He's working a part-time job at a warehouse. I think we touched on it briefly earlier. He works at some sort of like British version of Costco. It's like a wholesale warehouse. And his boss comes around the corner to talk to him about a possible promotion. And he says, the customers like you. Uh, good. I try to be friendly. Not like me. I increasingly find that I don't like you. The brutal honesty of that boss. <laughs> Just awful. Honestly, his boss is like the first introduction of Kate McKinnon's character. Yes. Right? Like that type of humor, that type mm-hmm. of like just crass assholery. Mm-hmm. Right. Is is first introduced in that character, but then ramped up to like 11 with Kate McKinnon. Yeah. I have such admiration. My next quote. <laughs> Mark's over here with stars in his eyes. <laughs> My next quote is a, a banter between... Rocky, who I thought we were introduced to as Nick, but neither here nor there. His roadie, his assistant, his partner in crime throughout his uh, fantastic journey. They land in Liverpool and he says, ah, home sweet home. And Jack goes, Rocky, you're not from Liverpool. Yeah, no, never been here before, mate. (laughs) He's such like a weird, wholesome comedic relief. Right. In a comedy. <laughs> He's the comedic relief in a comedy. In a comedy. Um, Which, again, I feel like, right, like, that speaks to, like, the tone of the movie, right? Like, it is a comedy, but, like, I don't want to say just barely, but it's it's not Spaceballs, you know? Right. It's like, there is a very serious sort of emotional tone and through line in this movie mm-hmm. that makes the comedy sort of, like... Almost uh, backburner. Yeah, like, it just, a, it, it participates every once in a while, and he delivers a lot of it. So it's funny, like you said, like, he is the comedic relief... In this comedy. Yes. <laughs> yep. uh, my third quote comes from Kate McKinnon's character. Does she drop Ed Sheeran in favor of Jack Malik? No, she just... I she think, just puts Jack up. on the front. She just, like, is very willing to if she needs okay, to. Okay, like. I gotcha. So, she's talking about Ed Sheeran's musical career in the wake of Jack becoming a superstar. And she goes, poor Ed. Freaking... John the Baptist, nice guy. One or two pretty good songs, but basically just warming the world up for you. Like, so... how are you so nice and such a stone cold bitch at the same time? Because it's not being nice. She's 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 plumping up the turkey. Yeah, you know, it's what an amazingly brutal analogy too. Like, she has to choose the situation where like a dude got fucking beheaded. Yep. And like had his head presented, right? Like yep. she's not just she's not just saying like, oh, you know, this person, these people happen to sort of lay the groundwork for something bigger that came later. That happens all the time. She has to choose the one where like the first person ends in a fucking car wreck. You know, yeah. like Yeah. Wait, did she say John the Baptist? Or yeah. did she say yeah. John Baptiste? No, John, John the, Baptist. the Baptist. You sure? Yes. Okay, because Jean Baptiste is also yeah. I heard John the Baptist. It's definitely John the Baptist because she did. I feel like she did at some point. I feel like she did make an explicit Jesus reference. It's possible. I re- I do remember it as John the Baptist, but now I'm just like thinking back on it. Like I wonder if she said. Eh. 
But uh, my last quote also comes from Kate McKinnon um, at his last show where he releases his love for Ellie as well as all of the Beatles music. Before he goes up, he's like, I just want to give a, a quick speech at the end of my set. And she, she goes, well, keep it brief. I've never heard you say anything interesting before. Uh, I don't see why tonight would be anything different. <laughs> she just fucking walks away. Yep. Doesn't even give him that second. Ugh, man, spirit animal. <laughs> you are like really into this Kate McKinnon character. <laughs> it is boss. worrying me. And the boss. And the boss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I really, can't just yeah. it's just the rude authority figures that I just want to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody told me the other day, like, "No, Mark, you're you're the nicest manager here," and it's just like I want to crack that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to break this. I will break you. <laughs> but it's like I just I say it through this like the face of like a freckled ginger, and like nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody believes me. You a freckled ginger? It's, I could be if you I could. tried. They don't know what you look like. You can be anybody you want to be. Can, you, you know, what? you can be Raggedy Andy if you want. That's that's a little uh, that's a little bigoted. Is that a little pejorative? Eh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I could have red hair. I probably do somewhere. You have a red hair. You one. have a single red hair. Where's that hair growing? Tinked. On your taint? Just one. You have a single. It's not even hair. It's wire. Oh, like, dead just center. Right. I'll show you. I kind of want to see this. You guys yeah, want to see it? it? You want to see it right now? I feel yeah. like he's one of like, All right. All right. If he's actually got a red hair dropping down from his taint, I feel like he might be like one of those dolls, right? Where you, the, there's like that you string. Pull it. Don't you pull, pull it. it and the arms and legs go out. Boys in the water hole. <laughs> the arms and legs just shoot out. Pull it in my taint string. <laughs> what happens if we pull that If we pull that hair? Well, we'll uh, tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs> For the exciting conclusion of pulling taint hair. <laughs> Pulling taint hair? Is that a... I was debating it. Taint, taint plucker? Oh, taint plucker. There taint it is. Taint plucker. Taint plucker. It's totally unrelated to this movie, but I like it. And their first but... album is Sack and Crack Waxing. Ooh. That's where you get the well, It's going to take a lot of writing. Sack <laughs> and Crack Waxing. But it's, it's... That's, I didn't write it. <laughs> I started to, and then I got bored. Um, uh, okay, so... Writing this? Are we are we ready to rate? Are we out of quotes? I'm we Lurdern? Yeah, I think we're Lurdern. I I think Laura's done. <laughs> so, uh, okay, I'll start us off here. My rating, I'm going 7.4 spilled rice. Ooh, yeah. I like it. I like it. Do you, do you pick it up? No, where did you, Rigby does. Where did you where did you spill it? Uh, by the church where uh where the wedding is being? Yes. Right you son of a bitch. You know that bride had to go back there and clean that up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't uh, didn't want to lose her deposit. It's called littering, Mark. Okay? Look it up. Mm-hmm. Litter bug. Litter, litter jugs. <laughs> I don't know what uh, that is. Like some, like... let's, let's expand on that. You want to expand on that? Litter jugs <laughs> is like a teeny tiny trash can. Is it? <laughs> no, 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 what it is, it's a feline strip club. Ooh. I feel like litter jugs is the taint plucker's assistant. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like taint plucker is a superhero themed band, and the lead singer is the taint plucker, and then his assistant who plays the tambourine is litter jugs. Litter jugs. Damn, litter jugs. I'm litter jugs. We're we're getting aside here. I thought that was very on topic. Uh, <laughs> uh, who else is ready to rate? Um, I'm gonna give this. 7.9. Oh. Yellow submarines. Mm. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's where we all live. Right above the octopus's garden. I will give this movie a 
6.5 singing gingers. Ah! Mm. Ed Sheeran's a singing ginger, isn't he? A ginger geezer. I was actually thinking about Chucky from Rugrats, but oh, sure, yeah, yeah Ed, Ed yeah, Sheeran, yeah. I mean, I guess he was in the movie. I guess yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah. makes sense. All right. Is there any kind of other rating that we should be... Oh, gosh. I, I think one comes to mind. Is it the <gasps> scene skull? Scene skull. Scene skull. It didn't start off the strongest, but it, it really built. Yeah. I appreciate that. It, it got better and better and better. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So, thank you to all of you who responded to our movie familiarity survey. Of those that responded, uh, our average familiarity score out of 10 was a 1.4. Kind of low. I thought it'd be higher. I thought it'd be a little higher, too. Like, uh, one thing that we didn't mention was, like, ironically, the last episode, Murder by Death, was our oldest movie by far. This is our newest movie by, like, a pretty good margin, I think. I think the next newest was, like, True Story. Or It Follows. It Follows, maybe? Yeah, like, 2017, 18. Yeah, but definitely, but definitely the most this recent. This is the newest. This is the most recent. So, I, yeah, I did expect the familiarity to be a little bit higher. Maybe general population would be a little higher. Our average score was a 7.3, giving, with the low familiarity, gives this a scene score of 8.3. How do we feel about that? I feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. I do too. In I that, played like... with the idea of rating it higher, but I feel good about where I put it. Well, I, I feel like the scene score, you know, contextually, it's the score for somebody, like, it's the score you would give this movie to someone who's never even heard of it. Yes. Yes. And exactly. 8.4 feels right, because if you've never even heard of this movie, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's, it's quippy. It's got the best fucking soundtrack of any movie. Yeah. You got to run out and see it. Yeah. You know, no, maybe not run out, but I would put it higher on the list to see. Yeah. You know, again. I would definitely I think it's put a... this above Meet the Feebles for sure. You um, think? Yeah. I think it's probably on par. Certainly above Stardust. I think you guys would probably agree with that. That uh, Stardust definitely belongs beneath this movie. We're just going to keep poking that carcass, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to yep. we're we're do gonna that. Pick away at it. You pick, can't see it, listeners. Pick I'm... away. Glaring at Mark. Yeah. Giving him a glare. I mean... From over there on my other hill. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. We've got our own fucking hill now. Yep. Uh, yeah. You know what? You're stuck with him on the hill, and I'm over on my own hill. I put in a hot tub, so that's what's going on on my hill. Yeah, well, I'm digging a hole, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> I, was like, I was waiting with bated breath to know what was going to go in this hole. Is it for Mark's body because oh. of his comments about Stardust? <laughs> I haven't decided yet. <laughs> no, I think he probably agreed with my comments about Stardust. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would if, if I could. <laughs> Which you did. Uh, you did do that. Are we learning? I believe we are. All right. Well, that is all for the alt crap review. Thank you for listening. If you have ideas for movie reviews or movies that you want us to review, we do have a movie suggestion form. You can find that on our website, T-M-A-A-B, which stands for three men and a basement.podbean.com. You can also email us or send us a burp envelope at three. That is the number three men and a basement at gmail.com you can find us on google play apple podcasts spotify um you could also see brief snippets of us on the upcoming tour uh slaps pancakes is headlining for uh sclamping sclamping is just horrific you really you don't want to go sclamping while you attend the music festival where the band sclamping is playing but the band is also pretty terrible also taint plucker you don't want to miss that one. they're going to be there in between sets taint plucker 
runs around pulling out people's taint hair and plucking away really it's it's honestly a spectacle yeah and his little assistant litter jugs is also running around and will just kind of like shake a tambourine and laugh in your face once the the taint plucker once you've been plucked which is just sort of adds insult to injury while you're laying there writhing on the ground yeah so it's a fun experience i bring the whole family yeah so uh you can also get us on the googly just go ahead and google us yeah we've also got merch now Oh it's yeah! True. On our website, you can go Check and it out. you can get yourself a three men in a basement. Um, uh, I think we have thongs and Ooh. We pair well with the Santa hat. I think we have big stickers that you stick on your car. Mm-hmm. Um, we should. You know, if you want to, if you just want to like do a car wrap. What else do we have? We have branded human flesh. Mm-hmm. If you if you want to buy that, purses. just don't read it out loud. Don't put it in your mouth either. No. Uh, and we got we've got t-shirts. Yes. Yeah, we do you have know, those. on the merch site. So check out our new merch site linked on our website and find us on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I am Colin McLeod. Mark Hall. Action Jackson. And we'll uh, see you in cyberspace. I've been plucked. That's, that's a good one.